Welcome to Stepping Into Now. I'm Karen Toulon. This is your place for candid conversations about crafting your career, connecting with community, and clearing a pathway to success right now. Today, Gabrielle Wyatt, the founder of the Highland Project, for a conversation about supporting Black women leaders, generational wealth, and sustainable community change. Hi, Gabrielle. Hey, Karen. How are you doing today? I am fantastic. I'm so excited for our conversation. I think I want to start off first with what the Highland Project is. You've said some remarkable things. You've said that everything begins and ends with a sustained mm -hmm. Black woman leader and that Black women are everything. Why did you create the Highland Project and what does it do? To know the Highland Project is to know a little bit about me. I am Gabrielle Wyatt. I am the granddaughter of Ruth Wyatt, who is the matriarch of the Wyatt family. She turned 100 years old or young, I should say, um, back in May of this year. I'm the proud daughter of Quentin and Mary Alice Wyatt. And I start there because my grandmother has played such a pivotal role in the lives of my parents, uh, not only in supporting my father and his siblings and actualizing their brilliance as Black humans, but in supporting my parents in a biracial relationship at a time in which um, there was not many supports, including in my mother's own family for the love um, that my family knew was possible. When we gathered for my mother's 100th birthday, I looked around the room and I saw so many Black women who had known her for 50, 60, 70, her full nearly 100 years. And I start there, Karen, not with our typical mission statement, because I think about Grandma Ruth, and I wonder, what is it that she has done that has sustained her this long? And as a Black woman in 1923, she is here today with her full presence, her full love, and a true passion that she has led silently in our family for serving our communities. And so what is the Highland Project? At the Highland Project, we wake up every single day imagining a world where Black women who are leading structural change are truly well and that they are truly sustained. And we think that to get there, we need to do a couple of, of things differently. Many think this is a bold idea. I think it is common sense. And I think we have many examples around us of this happening, but we don't have this for black women. And so what are those components? The first is truly creating spaces for respite and sustainability. You and I know very well from our careers and our lived experiences of black women, that the very systems we're seeking to reform, to save, to bring to equity, are the same systems that are marginalizing us every single day. And so it's not enough to have spaces and conferences to talk about our wellness. We need spaces and places where we in earnest can lean into and prioritize our very well-being. The second piece is that I deeply believe in needing community, in needing Bell Hook's home place as Black women to come to, to nurture one another, nourish one another, hear each other's failures and each other's dreams. And that we really need to do that across sectors and generations if we're serious about multi-generational change. We're solving century-old challenges. We need circles that therefore reflect the generations required to create sustainable change. 
And finally, we need capital to dream and to dream big. And so I think what we're most well known for at the Highland Project is that we provide every leader who we invest in and invite to join our coalition an unrestricted $100,000 to scale her legacy vision, to really scale what does it really mean and look like to leave a mark of sustained change in her community. So I want to talk about the money because I think the money is so very mm -hmm. important. But as, as you've mentioned, it's everything in addition to the money. What are some practical examples of the types of programs that you support when you talk about sus sustainable change, when you talk about generational change in institutions? What are some of the projects, some of the leaders that, that you encounter? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I'll first start at the top level. You know, we just had our anniversary week last week, um, which meant for us that we've invested the 1.5 million in the first cohort of leaders, which is 15 leaders across sectors and generations. And what I think is beautiful in themes about how they chose to design uh, their investments is it fell in um, three buckets, which aren't meant to sound um, like they're standing in silos. They chose to invest in their roots, which meant that the majority of leaders chose to invest in cultivating and sustaining leadership in their own communities. And so I think about Mary Pat Hector from Atlanta, Georgia, who literally lost um, her election for Atlanta City Council by no more than 25 votes. She is Gen Z and is launching Equity for All, which is focused on harnessing the power of Gen Z, not only as organizers, which we need, and we need them to be sustained, but really in supporting their visions of what does it mean to sit in other seats of power in democracy to create thriving Black communities. We saw that leaders, uh, in terms of investing in our roots, prioritize investing not only in their own restoration, but in the restoration of their teams. We saw leaders like Shelly Jackson in Phoenix, Arizona, partnering to bring in a consultant to focus on what does it really mean to build a sustainable vision with her staff. The second bucket that we saw, um, which I think you will love, is that folks are really focused on cultivating new narratives. We know that narratives, written and unwritten, shape how we view wealth, which therefore shapes how we view policy, how we write policy, how we show up at the ballot box. 40% of investments by leaders focus on creating new narratives. I think about Amanda Alexander, who was the founder of Detroit Justice Center, who, are, who was using her dollars to design a residency focused on what does it mean to support social justice leaders in creating bold social change narratives in this space. And finally, the third bucket that we saw was really envisioning possibilities. Um, we saw leaders move away from the confines of existing systems to really imagine what might be needed now. So 70% of investments are seeding new strategies and ideas. I think about Topeka Sam, who leads the Ladies of Hope Ministry, who is focused on what does it really mean to remove bias in how the formerly incarcerated are accessing financial products in the marketplace. That's very cool. And so we first spoke about 18 months ago when the mm -hmm. Highland Project, I think, was about a year old. Since then, that was in the beginning, sort of the tapering off of the COVID-19 pandemic. Um, since then, we've seen so much. We've, we're having higher interest rates, we're higher costs, mm -hmm. shifting socioeconomic sands, uh, employment is really changing. But despite this all, Black women 
continue to outperform their peers, other demographic groups in terms of being entrepreneurial, right? And I find that fascinating. According some, to some data cited by the Harvard Business Review, 17% of black women in the US are in the process of starting or running new enterprises. And that compares with about 10% of white women and 15% of white men. And so over the past couple of years, since, since your launch, has there been you talked about those buckets of, of, of interest, of focus. Mm -hmm. Has there been a change in the types of initiatives that, that leaders are, are, are latching on to? Anything that surprised you? I think uh, the two things that have surprised me, first, um, is actually leaders recognizing that they can invest their dollars in solutions that they do not have to be CEOs of. And I think that is the result of not only them listening to um, what they truly need to be sustained Black women leaders, how we started, um, but I think it's the result of the spaces that Highland creates and identifying that your seat of power does not always have to be wearing yet another CEO hat but it could be being an investor in another Black woman's vision. And so, you know, we're doing this podcast from New Orleans. And I'm so excited that this week I get to sit with Highland leader Rhonda Broussard, who chose to invest her dollars in recruiting a nonprofit to come here, Generation Hope, led by a Black woman leader, Nicole Lynn Lewis, to speed them in establishing a program that will support Black single caregivers in achieving their educational dreams in college and beyond with wraparound services. And so I think the first thing we began to see throughout this cohort was really decisions about what does it mean to be sustained, but also actualize change. I think the second piece that we see, yes, it, it, I, don't, I don't think it's... Um, it is no change in the data that you named. Um, it is continuing to name that, yes, we need to work within systems. And also, this is dream capital. This is capital that is available to create new ways of being, to create new ways of being. So we certainly have leaders who started with, no, I don't want to have another thing. But then named that actually for Highland to no longer exist seven generations from now, a new thing might need to be piloted. A new thing might need to be tried in order to see that other world. Uh, so you've raised, I think it's about $3 million um, across, um, what is it, 30 leaders? Is that right? That, that that's the kind So of we've, we've committed, yeah, we've committed um, $3 million in unrestricted capital. And since you and I spoke, our total seed raise as an organization is $10 million um, since our 2020 launch. Wow. And so um, you talked about this a little bit, but the funding, it's so very important because Black women historically get less less money from the philanthropic correct. funding pie, correct? I think the number is about 4% of funding um, when they, they constitute about 10% of, of leaders. Um, I, I want to just dive into that unrestricted funds a little bit because I know that's mm -hmm. understood to be important, but can you explain why it's important to have unrestricted funds, funds sure. that you can, for example, use to keep the lights on, but aren't mm -hmm. necessarily dedicated to something. Can you just go into that a little bit? That's right. I think about um, unrestricted funds for me is synonymous with trust. It is synonymous with trust, um, to trust leaders with their visions and managing the day-to-day -day of how to bring those visions to reality. And so often in my seats of philanthropy, 
philanthropy and my seats of being a systems change leader in education, you often saw us focused on programmatic funding. And where I find that to be problematic is that we end up focusing on one to three to five-year clips. And yet we're asking people to solve for multi-generational challenges. And so even if you're focused understandably on the urgency of now and the solutions that you're creating, you still need flexible capital for things like we just lived through with the pandemic, right? The ability to move funds, to respond to your staff having different needs, to respond to your stakeholders having different needs. I think the grand question of Highland that we're proposing is, what does it mean to go beyond having unrestricted funding to play defense and offense? What does it now mean to have unrestricted funding to imagine beyond a five-year clip? In philanthropy, we always see that really as the length of funding at max. What does it mean to think longer and to give the flexible capital to respond in that way? You talked about this earlier, but in addition to the funding, what is the the community support that you provide? Because I can imagine for some of the leaders, and I'd love to hear what you're hearing from from the women that you work with. I think over as part of your work, you've connected with about 1,400 Black women Mm -hmm. leaders. Um, What are you hearing from them when they think about making a change, when they think about starting an organization or funding an organization? what are the anxieties? What are the hurdles that you kind of can help provide support and guidance around? Sure. Um, I think a few different things and redirect me um, wherever it's most useful. You mentioned 1400 since our launch. And since we spoke last, you know, we have um, a one of a kind national um, data set, a poll of listening to over 1400 black women with our partner, Cornell Belcher, about how do they really define wealth and what are the top barriers to that. And we've consistently used that data to curate our cohort communities. So we said we will we will listen to Black women as Black women in terms of putting our money and our efforts where our mouths are to curate a world that Black women want to see that truly has their wealth vision centered. And so um, our first cohort represents women who are protecting voting rights, fighting racial discrimination, um, focusing on improving K-12 education, creating jobs and lowering unemployment, and making quality health care truly affordable. That is what we heard in our first poll, and that reflects the first um, set of leaders who were invited to join this coalition. Our second cohort that we announced at the end of last year after our second poll um, continues to reflect a reality that Black women define a key barrier to their definition of wealth as protecting democracy, as protecting democracy. The second is ensuring that we have a planet here where we all can breathe, where we all can thrive. And the third is that we have spaces and places for the educational goals of Black children and their caregivers to be realized. And so you see the next 15 that we invited to represent that cohort. When we um, have invested in both of these circles or cohorts of leaders, you know, I I think some of the consistent um, opportunities that we hear is the power of being in intergenerational spaces and the power of being in cross um, uh, cross city and cross sector spaces. Often we are the only 
in a room. That is still true today in the way that we heard that from our mothers and our grandmothers. And there is power when we come together, not only in creating solutions, but frankly, in creating a supportive and safety net um, for one another. What does success look like for the Highland Project? If you look down, I think you have a five-year plan. What, what, what does success look like? First and foremost, that not only for the leaders that we've invested in, but for the broader Highland community, that we are seeing and hearing that Black women are continuing to prioritize their own health and well-being. I, I can't say that enough. I know um, the money part of Highland is exciting and it is where folks can feel the most impact. And yet I keep coming back to what a leader said the other day, let's remember that many Black women who we up uplift, like a bell hooks, died at young ages. And imagine what still could be if those visionaries were here. And so I pause in this moment to say that the legacy I hope I leave and the legacy that I'm continuing to watch unfold is one in which Black women are choosing themselves. And that is essential for them. It is essential for families. And sure as hell, I know this nation will see that. The second piece I would name is that five years from now, that we start to see the blossoms of these seed investments, right? We play a long game here. We are not an organization obsessed with short-term metrics. We want leaders to think big and we have their backs when they fail. We encourage them to fail because that's how we're going to figure out what these solutions look like for the long-term. So now I want to talk about you for a little bit. Um, <laughs> you, like so many of your leaders, you had you you had a wonderful career um, in uh, education and nonprofit um investment strategy. You you were you worked with organizations. What caused you to step out mm -hmm. on your own and start your own enterprise, right? What was that process like for you to say I'm doing great work, New York New York mm -hmm. public school system for example, um yeah. really groundbreaking pro projects and programs, um delivering more access, more success, right? Um what made you say, okay, you know what, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to leave that security and step out into this. What what was that process yeah. like for you? Whew. I mean, I think the process probably started back in 2019 of wanting to really figure out what did it mean to sustain Black women in seats of power. You know, I think in 2019, at least in the world I was operating in, representation of Black women, what we think of as quote-unquote DEI, right, moving women into seats of power, sometimes by choice and not, um, often sure as hell without support, was the thing. And I kept seeing leaders not supported in seats, leaving their seats. And I had this wondering of like, what really would change this? I started with naming I'm the daughter of Quentin Wyatt. My dad was a social studies teacher. He loved history. And so I am his daughter and I believe in the history of our people, which said that Black women and girls, we have always sparked change that has uplifted this nation. And so in 2019, I was sort of grappling with what would it mean to support my grantees differently? 
I had an opportunity to pilot a version of that idea at the city fund. And during that pilot, it was against all things 2020. And I continued to then see this churn of black women leadership. But what I noticed differently than what I um, was awake to in the past was that they were not just burning out, that they were leaving with two questions often, one about their own health, and they were noticing what the tolls truly on their health are. And two, with this question of, can I ever step back into social change? And to sound a little bit selfish, I thought, oh my gosh, if you're, if we are not able to witness your power and your visions, we will never come out of this pandemic and we will never achieve the vision of equity and liberation that we have for black communities. And yet, we shouldn't invest in you as fuel. We should invest in you as humans. We should invest in you as long-term, multi-generational change agents and align capital and communities to match that. Um, and I had an incredible coach. I had an incredible coach who just said, write down your vision, even if you don't feel like you are the right person to do this. Write down what's in your heart and in your gut. I had a lot of imposter syndrome. I'm not a classically trained leadership development person or facilitator. So I, it was rough for me to at first put down the vision and own that I had a vision. And I really credit my coach. I credit a community of incredible girlfriends. I credit my husband for really just naming like, don't regret something. Try. What's the worst that could happen? What's the worst that could happen? And so we've had a lot of fumbles, you know, as we've gotten started, like any organization. And what I love about my team and our board and our community of champions is we lean into intentional adaptation and we lean into knowing in our guts that we are on to something. We are on to something that honors the humanity of Black women. And we are on to something that is going to change the trajectory for generations to come. I'm going to ask this question. I think I kind of know the answer, but are you are you optimistic at the end of the day? Do you think that we are mm -hmm. seeing steady change or it, are we in for a long slog? Oh, Karen, may I answer in two ways? Yes, you may. <laughs> I will always start with what I do believe, um, which is I, I believe and I have to operate in abundance. I have to operate in that we will have the space and place to have the capacity to truly thrive as humans. And also what I know to be true as the daughter of Clinton Wyatt is that change comes in 20-year clips, not three-year clips. And we're living, I think, I know, in a moment where we're probably at a beginning-ish of a 20-year clip, right? And some may view that as saying, oh, Gabrielle, you're not saying like, things are really crappy right now. They are. They are crappy. Our bodies are literally under attack. And what I also know is that we have the playbooks from our ancestors to know how deeply insidious racism is. And we need to go back and study this history and learn from the history and start to apply those lessons right now and look ahead at what could come. That's oddly where I see the abundance is knowing that there actually are solutions that we know of the past. But some of us are losing that going back to our history, that coming back to ourselves 
to know that we actually can imagine a world where we are thriving and make progress to that. And what are those solutions that are in the past that we should be applying? Mm -hmm. Is it that community you've been talking about? Is it that coming together, that sharing? What is that secret? I think hands down it is community. I think, you know, we were in Durham at the beginning of June with cohort two, and we were learning about the history of land for black Americans, the great taking away of the land that black farmers accumulated. But what led to the accumulation of so much land and wealth at that time was the pooling of resources, not just financial, right? But of our knowledge. I think about the knowledge of George Washington Carver, of Fannie Lou Hamer, that was pooled, right, to um, take something that felt so little and small and expand it. And so I think it's, yes, community. I think it is collectivism. I think it's the pooling of resources and not limiting that to financial. I think it is protecting ourselves and our spirits. It is not the white wellness culture that coins self-care, right? Like we know that the Black Panthers practiced deep self-care, that they trained others on deep prioritization of self-care. And so I think we have to go back to the fundamentals to know that we do have solutions within us, literally within our bodies, within our lineages, to bring forward to this moment. Well, Gabrielle, I think that's going to have to be the final word. Um, I really enjoyed chatting with you today. Gabrielle Wyatt, the founder of The Highland Project. Thank you so much. Thank you, Karen. Appreciate you. And that's it for this installment of Stepping Into Now. My audio producer and music composer is Spencer Wadsworth. Thank you for listening. You can find Stepping Into Now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and other popular platforms. Please subscribe and leave us a review. And check out my website, steppingintonow.com. Until next time, I'm Karen Toulon.